The scripture this morning is Philippians 4, 14 through 20. And it'll kind of seem like we're starting in the middle of a thought, and we are, because the thought started with last week's scripture. Um, so pastor will probably say more about that. But if you want to just back up a few verses yourselves, you can do that. I'm going to start at verse 14, if you can all stand for the reading of God's word. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, But I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. The word of the Lord. Well, Dean, you're right. This is continuing thought. I look at other sermons that uh, people write sometimes, and many, apparently, who preach go from verse 10 to the end of the chapter. So, I don't know. Your pastor's different, I guess. Um. And this is, it's a continuation of uh, Paul's recognition of the faithfulness of the Philippian church to meet his needs whenever they had the opportunity to do so. And last week we talked about the fact, though, that Paul had learned to be content whether he had much or whether he had little. And he'd seen every situation, much and little and everything in between. And so he continues on. With that thought, um, and that's what I want to focus on this morning. First of all, the story is told that one day a beggar by the roadside asked for alms from Alexander the Great as he passed by. The man was poor and wretched and had no claim upon the ruler, no right even to lift a solicitous hand. Yet the emperor threw him several gold coins. A courtier was astonished at his generosity and commented, Sir, Copper coins would adequately meet a beggar's need. Why give him gold? Alexander responded in royal fashion. Copper coins would suit the beggar's need, but gold coins suit Alexander's giving. We are told in the scripture, and it's true, that we are heirs and co-heirs with Jesus Christ, the King. Right? Right? All the resources of heaven are available to us and are ours to share as well. So, whether it is a need that we have or a need that we seek to meet, generosity is the order of the day. 
Because God is generous with us, we can be generous with others. This, by the way, I'm not heading down the pathway of health, wealth, and prosperity here. Just want you to know that right up front. I don't believe in that gospel. Too often, uh, when we talk about generosity, I think our mind automatically goes to financial generosity, to money. And certainly, Paul in our text today is grateful to the Philippians for their financial support of him. No doubt about that. The scripture tells us um, that that's what the Philippians had done for him more than one time. But, again, generosity is more than about money. The, The scripture tells us that God has generously poured out, generously poured out his spirit on us. That's Titus 3, 6. In James 1, 5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. And those are just a, a couple of examples of God's generosity in ways that are not have nothing to do with finances. And how God will meet our needs, depending on what they are, varies. But however God does it, whether through our work or... In other words, He provides work for us or from the gifts of others. It ultimately comes through and from God. He is ultimately the source of our provision, right? Someone said, God gives every bird its food, but He doesn't throw the food into the nest. There's a story about a Christian woman who lived next door to a man who was an atheist. Every day when the woman prayed... Apparently she prayed out loud because the atheist could hear her. And he thought to himself, she sure is crazy praying like that all the time. Doesn't she know that there isn't a God? Many times while she was praying, he would go to her house and harass her, saying, lady, why do you pray all the time? Don't you know there is no God? But she kept on praying. One day... She ran out of groceries, and as usual, she prayed to the Lord, explaining her situation and thanking Him for what He was going to do. As usual, the atheist heard her praying and thought to himself, I'll prove to her that there is no God once and for all. So the atheist went to the grocery store, bought a bunch of groceries, took them to her home, dropped them off on the front porch, rang the doorbell, and then hid in the bushes to see what she would do. When the Christian lady opened the door and saw the groceries, she began to praise the Lord with all her heart, thanking God for providing for her needs. Immediately, the atheist jumped out of the bushes and told her, You silly lady, God didn't buy those groceries. I bought those groceries for you with my own money. The Christian lady replied with great joy, I knew the Lord would provide me with groceries, but I didn't expect he was going to make the devil pay for them. (laughs) Look at verse 18 of our passage today. Paul says, I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. 
So here Paul expresses his, his uh, appreciation to the Philippian church for their financial gifts, which Paul believed were really gifts from God and to God. So he is uh, expressing his appreciation to the Philippian church for their generosity. So let's notice this morning some important truths about generosity. First of all, generosity is an encouragement to others. Paul needed the gifts from the Philippians and he greatly appreciated those gifts. You know, in my own life, I have been a receiver of gifts and I'm sure that in times in your own lives, you've been a receiver as well. When I, when I first came on staff and as, as an associate pastor, uh, our church was growing, but finances had not caught up with the growth. As a result, my salary was, um, well, let's just say our, our family was on a pretty tight budget. That changed over time, but through the years, we have received gifts from members of our congregations, including this congregation. When we were planning to travel or around Christmas time when buying gifts added another line item to the household budget. Through the generosity of others, we took our first trip to Hawaii and two trips to Israel. The church in eastern Oregon where I started in ministry gave us a gift to help us with the down payment on our first home. You know, it's a wonderful thing to receive a gift, especially when it is greatly, a greatly needed gift. And it's amazing how often that happens. You, you have a need that no one knows about, and God sends you a gift through someone's generosity to meet that need. Thank you, Jesus. So, generosity is an encouragement to those who receive who are on the receiving end of your generosity. And generosity is an investment in eternity. In addition to being on the receiving end of things, I have also had the opportunity at times to be on the giving end. It's a joy to give to others and to watch them be blessed by the gift. You've probably been on the giving end as well. When we give to others and to God, then there's an important accounting that takes place. Note the language that Paul uses in verses 16 and 17. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. So, in essence, both Jesus and Paul talk about storing up treasures in heaven by giving on earth. It's what we invest in. It's what we're generous about and why. And when we give for the sake of Jesus and the kingdom and the needs of others, our account is somehow credited by God. He's keeping a record of that. That is what the Scripture means when it talks about storing our treasures in heaven. So generosity is an investment in eternity. 
But generosity is a sacrifice to God as well. Give and increase God's fame in the world. Give and cause people to rejoice in the Lord. That's what Paul did when he received a gift from the Philippian believers. In verse 10 he said, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. Their their gift made his day. It lifted his spirits. It caused him to praise God even though he was sitting in prison at the time. And you know what? Our giving to others will do the same. Your generosity will cause people to praise the Lord and bring glory to God. A few years ago, 2015 exactly, Harvard professor Robert Putnam criticized organized religion for being useless. His criticism reflected the attitude of many non-believers. Putman said that, Putman said this, The obvious fact is that over the last 30 years, most organized religion has focused on issues regarding sexual morality, such as abortion, gay marriage, all of those without addressing in his mind real needs in the world. However, in an article in the Washington Post, it, it countered with facts about what is really going on in the American church. This article was written by Rob Schwartzwalder and Pat Fagan. And they said this, Broadly speaking, American churches are incredibly generous to the needs of a hurting world. And then they presented some stats to back up their claim. In 2009, overseas relief and development supported by all American churches exceeded $13 billion from the churches in America. That compares to $5 billion sent abroad by foundations in the same year, $6 billion from private and voluntary relief organizations apart from the churches, and $9 billion donated internationally by corporations. The American church outdid all of those. In, 2000, in 2012 alone, the evangelical relief group World Vision spent roughly $2.8 billion annually to care for the poor, which ranks World Vision about 12th within the G20 nations in terms of overseas development assistance. In addition, Christian groups such as Samaritan's Purse, Food for the Hungry, World Relief, and many others provided hundreds of millions of dollars in anti-poverty programs at home and abroad. And don't forget the countless hours that churches, ministries, and individual believers devote to helping the poor. They're involved in closed closets and food pantries all across the country. They do things like drive the elderly to medical appointments and care for abused women in their private homes. And that's the end of the, the article. The generosity of God's people all over the world is a powerful witness to the love of Jesus Christ. Their giving brings great honor and glory to the Savior they, we, profess. Paul noted that the Philippians' gifts were a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. So our giving is a pleasing aroma to God. Our giving brings Him glory and honor. It brings 
pleasure to Him. And when we give our tithes and offerings, we not only are giving just to the church, but we are giving an offering of worship to the Lord. Our giving is an act of worship. And our offerings, or our giving to others, are a pleasing aroma to God. Giving can be one of the most rewarding things we can do. But it is pleasing and honoring to God as well. And then Paul says, oh, and by the way, there's a promise that goes along with this. If you're generous, here's what God will do. My God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. That's his promise. So let's, let's break that down a little this morning, that promise. The source, God. My God. Paul says, God is the source. Here is a personal God who takes responsibility for meeting your needs. He stakes his reputation on that. You're not unknown to him. In fact, quite the opposite. Believe me, if God knows the number of hairs on your head, well, maybe on your face, No offense, guys. But if God knows that, He knows who you are. He does. In 1 Peter 2.9, it says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. We are God's special possession. And God knows how to take care of what is His. And He has the resources to do that, by the way. Psalm 24.1 tells us, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. They're, they're God's. Psalm 50, verses 9-12 through 12. God is saying, He's speaking here, I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens, for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. And then in Acts 2.24 um, this, this goes back to uh, the apostles have been preaching in the temple and they've been confronted by the religious authorities and they said, don't ever talk about Jesus again. And they go back to the church body and they say, here's what happened. And the church body said, the people said, and when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea, and everything in them. It all belongs to God. So He can meet your needs, and He has resources to do so. And the scope is, Paul says, the scope is He will meet all your needs. That's the scope. All your needs. And the operative word here, though, is needs. 
its needs. That's the promise. God will meet our needs. But this verse can be misused. It doesn't cover the following. Number one, unwise use of resources or maybe living beyond your means. God has provided the resources, but maybe we've used them unwisely. So our financial situation is on a razor's edge. There's no breathing room in the budget. We had to have the new car, the bigger, nicer house, a few toys in the driveway, and and vacations we really couldn't afford. The credit cards are maxed out, not because of medical expenses or something that was necessary, but for things we wanted and thought we had to have. And there's a lot of cultural pressure for that, isn't there? All it takes is one emergency, an unexpected expense, and we're in trouble. And what happens is we run to God. Bail us. Bail me out. We're hoping and expecting that God will do that. And yet we've been unwise. We're in this situation because of decisions we've made. When, here's an example I can think of. Um, when I was pastoring on the Oregon coast, a man came to church. We knew of this gentleman. He'd been involved in our Celebrate Recovery program. Uh, he came to church asking for money, for groceries, for, or rent. I don't remember which. But when he told me, uh, but then he told me he'd just come from the tattoo parlor. And he bent down and showed me this big tattoo that he had on the head that he'd shaved. He was a fan of the University of Oregon, so he had a big green O right on the top of his head. Unwise use of resources. I don't think God's obligated to meet our needs when we've been unwise. I don't think God is obligated to meet our needs as a result of the consequences of laziness. Um, Here's an example, by the way, from our culture. Disability fraud is a big problem in our country. These are cases where someone claims to have a disabling physical injury or issue that will not allow them to work. They then apply for and collect monthly benefits from the government slash us, It costs millions of dollars annually. And what happens is people who are unwilling to work have found a way to be taken care of. I'm not saying there aren't genuine needs in that. There are people who are genuinely disabled. And this is good. But but I was doing some internet research for this. And and, when you look up disability fraud, they've got, you know, people who go out and and, uh, they investigate these and... Here's the guy who claims to be blind, and um, he's out mowing the lawn. They have a they have, uh, video of him driving his car. Oops. And, and, and there are multiple examples of that. People who just, you know, they're still disabled. They can't possibly do anything. And then it shows them doing all kinds of things that someone in their condition should not be able to do. Laziness. And in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, Paul wrote this, The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. 
God is not obligated to help us if we are doing without because we are lazy. And then, um, remember the operative word here was needs. Sometimes we get in trouble because of all our wants. James 4, 3, when you ask, do not, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may, be, may spend what you get on your pleasure. This is a place where people often get their wires crossed. And again, I think a lot of it is cultural because we think some of these things that are extras are needs. I mean, everybody has one. I should have one too. So we need the cable TV package with 300 channels and Netflix and Amazon Prime and a $1,400 cell phone and the data plan that goes with it. And we need to go out and eat you know, on a regular basis. You know, I've, I, and I've had, in my years of experience, uh, people come to the church asking for help with one kind or another. Probably most pastors have experienced something like this. People asking for generally financial resources, not food, not clothing, but something to keep their table on. And I know, uh, maybe this goes back to unwise use of resources, but... Um, and, th- and this didn't bother me. I, I used to drive a, uh, I don't even know what, 1980-something Toyota Tercel wagon. By the way, I loved that car. It was four-wheel drive. But, um, you know, uh, I had someone come to me one time in the ch- church, and um, they wanted fuel for their vehicle. And I always, uh, we had a, an arrangement with a, a service station in town where I could write out a uh, voucher and they could go and give it. And so I went out to get their license plate number because, you know, people will work the system and they'll give it to somebody else. And, and uh, they were driving one of the, the giant Hummers. Those things get like... Um, and that's a problem. We, uh, we live in a culture that has turned one into And I don't think God is obligated to fulfill our wants. Now, He is gracious. He is kind. He is patient. He might provide for needs in some of these situations. Or He might decide to make some changes. But he's not promising to fulfill our wants or provide for us if we're lazy or we've used our resources unwisely. But he has promised to meet our needs. And the supply, where does it all come from? Well, he says it comes from his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. I have no idea the scope of Christ's riches. Anybody here have a handle on that? They are inexhaustible. In Ephesians 3.8, Paul speaks of the unsearchable riches of Christ. Other versions use, in place of unsearchable, immeasurable 
or incalculable. In other words, we cannot wrap our minds around the resources, the riches of Christ Jesus. They'll never run out. That's what God's telling us. And again, we cannot think of riches merely in the source of, you know, what's in a bank account or we carry in our wallet or purse. The riches of Jesus Christ go well beyond money or stuff. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3, His divine power has given us everything generous, everything we need for life and godliness through Him, through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Everything we need for life and godliness. So, He'll meet our needs, but He'll provide other things that we... How much money do you need to live a godly life? So what does He give us for godliness? Well, He gives us His grace. He gives us His mercy. He gives us His strength. He gives us the abundance of His Holy Spirit in our lives. Those are all part of the riches of Christ Jesus. And and there is, in this passage, a a principle tied in here that we must not forget. And this passage in Philippians, even as we've tied in these other verses from Scripture. In, In 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 and 8, Paul, again speaking, says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will reap generously. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And by the way, this is a verse that sometimes the health, wealth, and prosperity guys run with. But... There are, God's generous to us in a lot of ways that have nothing to do with, with money, right? So when we talk about reaping generously, I love reaping relationships. How about you? Look at this. And in Psalm 112, verse 5, it says, Good will come to him who is generous. Not just with your financial resources, although, you know, not everybody can afford to be, doesn't have the resources to be, they can be generous as they can. It's, remember when Jesus was watching people put money into the temple collection box? And there was a lady who put in two small copper coins. They were the, they were the smallest denomination you could possibly use. That's all she had. So generosity has to do with what's in here, doesn't it? She gave what she could. Jesus said she really, from her heart, gave more than all these rich people who you know, threw coins in to make a lot of noise to make people think, wow, those guys are really, they're something special. In World War II, missionary Darlene Rose was imprisoned by the Japanese. She had malaria. One day, she watched the courtyard from her cell. Prisoners were allowed to walk there. Darlene saw one lady sneak over to the fence covered with Honolulu creeper. 
Someone was handing bananas into her. She'd hid them under her sarong. At 80 pounds, Darlene was starving to death. She was being beaten and was near her breaking point. She could smell those bananas. She got on her knees and cried, Lord, I am not asking for many. I just want one banana. But then she began to rationalize, seeing no way that God could get her a banana. Shortly shortly thereafter, a Japanese camp commander from her former camp came to visit her. She had witnessed to him, and he had become her friend. After he left, the guard returned to her cell, opened the door, and threw them in. You know what they were? Bananas. God brought Darlene 92 bananas. I hope she liked them after they turned brown. (laughs) That's what God does. You know, I I think again, and I've shared this often, Stan Toller's book, God has never failed me yet, but he scared me to death a few times. Yeah. He doesn't always come through with what we think we should get or in the time we think we should get it, but God comes through. That's what he does. So those who make acceptable sacrifices, because that's what we're doing when we're generous, Those who give generously can count on their needs being met according to God's riches in Christ Jesus. And by the way, and I just throw this in, attitude is important when we do this, right? We have to give with the right heart. You know, you've heard the term squeezing blood out of a turnip. It can't be like that. Like, I can't. And it's not just... What's in your wallet? It's your time. It's your talent. It's a whole list of things. We need to be able to give willingly, joyfully, and thankfully whatever we can. Amen? Because God loves a generous giver, whatever it is that we give. So let me pray this prayer. Father, you truly meet our needs. We thank you for your generous mercy toward us and your abundant blessings. Inspire us to share our blessings from hearts that are filled with gratitude and humility. May we freely give from our cup that you have filled to overflowing. And give us eyes to see the needs you mean for us to meet corporately and individually. You've told us that our generosity triggers your caretaking. May we invest in your cause, not for what we can expect to get in return, but so that you can display your faithfulness and power in our world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.